Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We have today, we're going to focus on today, one of the most famous prayers in the whole Bible, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church in, uh, in Ephesians 3, which uh, Naomi's just read for us. And we, I want us to get inside this passage. I want us to like take it apart a little. I want us to study it. I want us to ponder it, learn about God through it, learn about the church through it. We're going to do all that stuff. But I also don't want to forget the obvious thing about this passage, which this passage is a prayer. And in all we see today, I love, and we've already talked about it, Jonathan's already talked about it before, I love this passage to revitalize how we pray in our prayer lives. And so we're going to start, before we do anything else, by praying it. Okay then, well we've prayed this passage, now let's think about it in more detail. And really, I mean, I've got 20 minutes on one topic here. We will get a little bit practical to the end, and like I said, I'd like to end in prayer again in a slightly different way. Um, But really I just want to talk about one topic, and it's the topic that is all over this passage. And Paul's understanding just soaks through every single bit, and the subject is, there's one subject, and that subject is God. And this passage is all about God, and it shows us something about God that is, we consciously use it in kind of the the rhetoric of prayer, there's an incredible God that shines out of this passage, and I want to just uh, show you all the different angles that he, he shines through here before we get a bit more practical. Okay, so let's start with verse 18. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised. It's not all the answers are good answers. It's good. But often in this passage, the bit that most people remember is verse 18. And it's the bit that most is most quoted. How how high, what wide and long? So sorry, yeah, it's wide, isn't it? The order is going to get muddled up today because I can never get this in the right order. Wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and this kind of idea of width and length and uh, depth and 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 height. Um, these kind of four dimensions, I guess, of without wanting to sound, I'm going to talk a lot about dimensions today. Please don't think of uh, Avengers Endgame and stuff. I'm not into <laughs> the, the multiverse. I just dimensions in like width and breadth and height and all those sort of things. Um, th- that kind of grips us, that image, and it's uh, here applied to God's love. Or is it applied to God's love? Did anyone read today's passage in, in the ESV translation of the Bible? Just as a little geeky thing. Yeah, okay. Um, notice anything odd in that translation in this verse? Mr. Parkin, did you notice anything? I, I, I'm, I'm into this. I, I'm just going to pick on people. And I'm not joking. Honestly, it's, it's a safe space for everyone, except Tom. <laughs> Tom, don't worry. That was too, too quick. Anything any of you guys notice about it? It's an odd verse. It misses the end bit out. It simply says this. I'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, if I can find my place in my notes. Um, you may have strength to comprehend with all the strengths. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of what? It doesn't say. Paul never said in, in the verse. Now, it could well be, and there's reasons why the commentators often, the translators would often put of love, but, but I think there's also a reason why, they, why Paul didn't mention love. Because you see, what Paul is presenting us with this in the passage is not a God who's like a top trump, okay, and his wisdom's like about 60, and his, uh, his power's, you know, 75, but, you know, his love, that's a 95 right there, okay? For those who do match attacks, some of, some of the lads, it's not like his 101 there, but the others are kind of 60, 50, whatever. That's not what he's saying here. What Paul is saying in this passage is that God is high, wide, deep and long in everything he does and everything he is as we see including love 
And actually, this multi-dimensional greatness of God is brought out in this passage in at least four different ways. And I'm just going to rattle through them. Okay, the first way God is multi-dimensional in this passage is in his very being as Trinity. Okay, his first is uh, in his being, he's multidimensional. Now, this might seem very simple to you. You might think, oh, we don't even need to comment uh, on this bit here. But this is uh, definitely worth noting when you read the Bible, when the Trinity comes up in kind of like really clearly. I mean, we've got it here. I mean, it's very easy to look at. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the... The Father. Verse 17, 18, 19, 21, refer to Christ, that's Jesus, who is the... The Son. And verse 16 talks about the Holy Father, Son, Spirit. The Trinity. One God revealed in three persons. Many people would criticize the view of the Trinity that Christians would have. And they would say, the thing about the Trinity is that it's not explicitly, systematically explained in the New Testament. In fact, some would say, the word Trinity is not there at all. And that would be true. And no version in any language of the word Trinity in that sense. But the thing about the Trinity is you see it kind of soaking through the understanding of the authors regularly. And I think the clearest place for me is in the prayers of the New Testament. That's where you see it happen, just just like this. And in these prayers, what we see is the Trinity going from a kind of dry and dusty piece of religious dogma. And by that I mean is, I signed up to this whole Christian thing. I better believe that don't understand it, doesn't make any difference to my life at all, but it's in the package, so I'll have it. No, that's not what the Trinity is here. No, what you see in prayers like this is the Trinity is this dynamic interaction with the multidimensional God of heaven and earth. So often in the Bible, we see it working here, is when we pray, we pray to the Father. We pray to the Father, okay? The one who oversees all things, who's completely in charge of everything, who is uh, moving history irresistibly in the direction that he wants it to go. It's like it says here, we pray to the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. We pray to the Father. We pray through the Son. We pray through the Son, Jesus. You see, God in this passage is presented as the Father of all creation in the sense that a father produces and creates a child. But we don't need God just as our Father, as our Creator, as the one who produced us. As many people, sadly, uh, in, in our world, in our city, uh, probably in this room today, who knew what it was to have a Father in the sense of someone produced me, or two people actually, but as a Father produced me, but he was, that was about it really. We don't just need an absent father. We need a father who comes to us intimately, who brings us into his family, who's affectionate to us, who loves us. And we have that through Jesus. Jesus who died so that we could be forgiven and brought into God's family to know our Father, not just as the one who made us, but as our loving Father. And that's how we relate to God through Jesus, but that's how we pray. We pray to God, and he listens to us like a Father through the Son, through Jesus. And then the agent by which God answers our prayers is the Spirit. And Jesus told his disciples, amazing phrase, one of the things, do you believe every word of Jesus? I'd like to ask you, do you believe the words of Jesus here? Yeah, okay, you can see a trap coming here, but I think there's more. What about this one? Jesus said to his disciples, it is better for you that I go, 
so that my spirit can come. It's better that Jesus said, I'm not here. Who'd like Jesus, hand, show hands, who'd like Jesus to walk through that door and sit in that row? Who'd think that would be a good morning? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Jesus said it was better that he wasn't here with us, that his spirit would be here. Because the spirit, you see, brings the presence of Jesus, but the spirit is not bound into one place, and just to one kind of body of skin and bones in that place. The Spirit doesn't just come and pat us on the back or shake our hands or give us a hug. And as we see here, the Spirit works inside us, in our inner being, not just kind of changing our actions, but changing our affections and our desires too. We pray to the Father, through the Son, and the agent by which God answers our prayers is His Spirit. Can you see this God is not flat this is not a one-dimensional God. He is multi-dimensional. He is high and wide and deep and long in his very being. But also, uh, he is high and wide and deep and long in his activity as well here. Look at all, or think about all the areas that God is at work in this prayer or this passage, okay? I'm not going to go through them chronologically, but I'm going to spot them all because think of it like a kind of Google map scenario where you're really zoomed out and you zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and zoom in that's what we see happening in this prayer I'll show you what I mean verse 15 where's he active he's active in heaven he's the praying Paul is praying to the father from whom every family in heaven derives its name for us as Western Westerners, for many, most of us as Westerners, we would have most problem with this, understanding what this means. But Paul is very clear, particularly in this letter, that there is a, there is a heavenly realm and there is an earthly realm. We'll come back to earth in a minute. Um, and that there are unseen powers in that heavenly realm. And you could think in terms of angels and demons, if you can divorce that from the kind of cheap Netflix, straight to Netflix shows that have kind of ruined those ideas for us. But yeah, that's the kind of thing we're talking about up there. And however mysterious it might seem to you, Paul is assured God is working in heaven. That's one thing. But then Google Maps zooms in slightly. Where else? Well, also it's earth, isn't it? Every family in heaven and earth derives its name from God. Now, I'm sure that God's at work within animals and uh, like uh, bodies of water and weather systems and things like that. But that's not where Paul zooms in specifically. He zooms in on specific things that are going on on the earth. So the next layer down is verse 18. All the Lord's holy people. God's working in all the Lord's holy people. Who are they? They're all the followers of Jesus ever to live before the letter to the Ephesians, during and after in every place in the world. All the Lord's holy people. But he's not done. God keeps working in new areas. He focuses in more. He works in the Ephesian church as well. This group that's there, verse 17 and verse 21. Even the phrase we just looked at, all the Lord's holy people, which I think is referring to all Christians. But it says, what does it say before? Together with all the Lord's holy people. The, the, the idea of the church is not meant to just be a sociological phenomenon. There are a billion Christians on planet Earth today or something like that. No, it's not just that, although that's good as well. No, it's, it's expressed in groups that get together. So when it comes to the end of the passage, verse 21, it says, To God be glory in the church. An incredible statement. He's referring to God being seen to be good. That's what glorified means, so that everyone can see how good God is. Yes, through the fact that there are loads of Christians everywhere, so God must be good. But much more than that, we can see he's good in this community here. Look around you. Have a look around. 
in this community, not just the Ephesian church, in church central south, right here as well. This would apply to us. In churches that are dwelling places for the Holy Spirit. He says in chapter 2, verse 22. In churches that demonstrate the, the manifold, multicolored wisdom of God. In chapter 3, verse 10. God is active generally among his people, but he's very active in specific local churches too, like the one in Ephesus and like the one here. But that's not even as far as this God goes, zooming in. He zooms in even further. Look at this other one, verse 16 and 17. He's at work in our inner being, <laughs> our heart. You can't get much more micro than that, really, from the macro of heaven all the way down to our inner being. Paul says it twice in two different ways. He asks that God would strengthen these Christians, and by association us, through his spirit in our inner being. And then he kind of repeats it in a different way, that Christ may dwell in their hearts, he says. Our high, deep, wide, and long God works in all the heights, depths, widths, and lengths of everywhere. He's completely multidimensional, far away and incredibly close. Couldn't get any closer. I think it's amazing. But how does he work in those places? Well, you'll never guess. That too is multidimensional. God's power is the next point. His multidimensional power. It's not just that God has access all areas in the universe, although he does, but he is able to do anything that he wants to do in any of those places. He has utter authority and power. And this is most impressively uh, kind of brought out in the verse that uh, James mentioned earlier, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Um, the, the, the cheeky little translators, they helped us in inverted commas with the breadth and depth and width and love. They did that earlier, kind of they helped juggled it around a bit so we could understand it more. They've helped not just us, but Paul in this one, because that's a sentence that kind of works. But I'll be honest, the sentence that Paul actually wrote, not so much, really. <laughs> Paul is a good writer. Uh, he's a, got a good vocabulary. He orders his thoughts really well. But I'm afraid at this point, he kind of loses it as regards sentence construction. And we see that when we look literally at what this verse means. This is actually what Paul wrote. I'll put it up here. Now to him who is able to do infinitely more abundantly above all that we ask or think. You're not getting many points in your SATS grammar test for that one, Paul. What does he mean? What's going on here? Well, I think, I think the messiness of this sentence is a beautiful communication that Paul, this verbose, intelligent, articulate guy, language doesn't work here. I was really helped in a commentary I read by a guy called Andrew Lincoln, who's not the main character out of Walking Dead as far as I'm aware, but anyway, a different guy. No Walking Dead fans here. Okay. Um, this commentary from Andrew Lincoln, who he just stripped it back and put it up one layer of a time. So I want to do it with you. What does that sentence mean? There's too much going on there for my brain. Let's strip it right back and let's see what it means. One step at a time. Okay, I, I think I can do this. Is it, I, I found this really helpful when I read it. Okay. What this means is that God is able to do what you ask him in prayer. Just think about that. He is able to do what you ask him in prayer. Think of the prayers that you have prayed that might seem really far-fetched or overblown. He's able to do it. But not just that. He is able 
to do what you have never asked for in prayer. Either because you forgot or you thought it wasn't worth bothering because God's not going to do it. He's able to do not just what you ask, but what you think or even imagine as well. Got that? But it's not just that, actually. He is able to do not just some of those things. He is able to do every single one of them. He's able to do all of those things. But not just that. He's able to do above all that you ask or think. More than all of the things that you ask or think. But not just that. He's able to do abundantly (laughs) above all that you ask or think. But not just that, Rich. Not just that. He's able to do more abundantly above all than you ask or think. But not just that. (laughs) He is able to do infinitely more abundantly above all that you ask or think. (laughs) Can you see what he's saying? That is a categorical statement on the multidimensional power of our God. And we think sometimes when we walk (laughs) into church and the lights go out, that we, oh, what are we going to, honestly, I was like, what are we going to do? Can I project in this room without amplification? I mean, who cares? We have a God who can do immeasurably, fundamentally, immensely, infinitely. I don't have the words. Paul didn't have the words. He can do it. Amazing stuff. And not just that he can do it. If you're his child, he wants to do it if it's good for you because his love is also multidimensional. It's the last thing, God's love. It's where kind of the commentators go first. It's also, the least we can say is God's love is as high and deep and wide and long. He's a 101 club on match attacks. He has all of the 101s uh, in this, but love is certainly included. And can we add anything more to that? Well, I think Paul tries to. I say tries. Next, the next verse after the breadth and length and width one. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Someone mentioned it before. Well, what's up with that? It's another time where Paul's language is failing him. As we mentioned before, it's really asking, God, please help them understand the love that they can never understand. This is a love beyond understanding. It's a love beyond words. And I think there's something in the rhetorical power of that that's really helpful. I think we understand, okay, to understand something that we can't understand, got it. But the problem is sometimes I think we see in this a kind of like an absent father who, who, who phones their kids up, one of their kids up and says, you know what, I love you so much. Like, I love you. I can't tell you how much I love you. And they say, oh, thanks, Dad. Great. Are you coming to my birthday next week? And Dad's like, oh, you know what, I'm really sorry I can't come. But I just, I love you so much. I, love you. I can't explain it. I think we see God like that sometimes. God's not like that. No, he comes to our birthday. And we see this, the early church fathers, and actually throughout the ages, many Christians have seen a very simple picture in this width, height, breadth, length sort of thing. And in those four dimensions, they've seen the four points of the cross. And I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote this, but I think it's a really helpful image for us to understand the the depths of the love of Jesus. This isn't just language games from Paul. Jesus' love was as wide as he stretched his arms out for you. His love is as long as from his head with that crown of thorns on it to his feet that were pierced for you in real space-time in Jerusalem all those years ago. 
and paid the punishment that we all deserved so that through him we could, although we could never fully understand it, we could know that love experientially because again, through the spirit, God is with us. We can know a love that surpasses knowledge. I just really think he couldn't get any more excited. He rounds off the prayer with like, I don't know what to make of this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. By this point, I'm like, I get it. This is amazing. I've got it. To be filled with all the fullness of God. And that statement, sometimes you get to the end of the prayer and you think, okay, this is getting super abstract now. I'm kind of in awe, but that's it. But it's really funny because in that statement, actually, there's a hint of the practical application in this passage. Quiz question again, I'm working you guys hard today, and if you've got a Bible, you can turn to it, uh, or you can Google, you can go around on it. We've seen a statement like this already in Ephesians, in one of our talks, the filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Can anyone tell me when, where that phrase is, is a very similar phrase is chosen? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, he got, he got it working when I gave it to him late, so we'll give him that. Good stuff. But well done. Ben, excellent. Thank you. Thank you for your Bible knowledge. It's really good. Um, in Ephesians 1.20, oh, there is still a quiz question here, though. Don't go to the next slide. Um, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What is that referring to in chapter 1? Haha, I knew I could get a question in. <laughs> ben. Oh, good try, but not correct. It's almost like you read the screen a minute ago and didn't know that. Okay, right. Give him a help. Come on, give him a help. It's not a building, but it's the church. His body, Jesus' body, that is the church, which is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amazingly, that's what Paul thought of as the church. Now, I hope all of this stuff inspires you to love God more and to pray more and all that stuff. But I don't want us to miss a really practical point in this passage that tells us a really practical way to access God's love and power. Because if we go back, can we go back to those the circles a second ago that we had? I'll go to the next slide, I think it is. Okay, remember the little circles, all the places where God's works. There is, if you think to yourself, well, where should I, if God's at work in all those places, where should I position myself so that I can feel this love and experience this love most and this power most, as well as wisdom and all the other things? Well, he's actually quite clear, Paul. It's in, in the church, not just, not the Ephesian church only. <laughs> you don't have to move to Turkey, although, you know, Turkey's nice. Um, in the local church. And that seems to be what Paul's talking about here. There are two things, Paul says, that are necessary if we're to grasp this multidimensional God. Two things, he says. We need to be together with all God's people. He says that. Together with all God's people. And secondly, the verse that uh, we said earlier, we need to be rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in love. Now, I don't know how that was taken by by, uh, Beth earlier, um, but you could see in two ways. Is it rooted and established in God's love? Or is it rooted and established in our love for each other? Well, at the very least, it must partly include our love for each other. And we know that because whoever's preaching the next few weeks is going to be dwelling on this quite a lot. Because for the next three chapters, what Paul basically says is, right, I've prayed for you. This is what I pray for you. Now do it. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. That's what he does for the whole rest of the time. We need to be rooted and established in love, which at least means partly for each other. As we've seen, where does then this amazing God get the glory he deserves? It's in the church. Yes, 
You know what? His power is at work within each of us. But we have got to be very careful when we read this passage that we don't just apply it to ourselves and see this as me. It's all about me. And could you do this for me? I'm not sure you can fully grasp all of this stuff. Well, A, without the Holy Spirit, but definitely without the church around you, without other Christians who you're in community with. Because yes, the Holy Spirit's in us, but Paul lays out a plan in Ephesians where the plan is lots of people with the Holy Spirit in them need to come together into community and form a dwelling place for his spirit. That's what Paul talks about at the end of chapter 2. He wants us to be together. And yes, in meetings like this, gatherings, but actually in the companionship, in the friendship, in the shared purpose that we have with our brothers and sisters in our church, I think Paul's saying there's something special of an experience of God's love and power that you feel there that if you remove yourself from that place, you will not be able to get hold of. So what do we do as a result of all this then? Three things uh, that we see is, one, we worship God. I hope that at least one thing out of this prayer jumped out of you and made me say, I think I want to worship God a little bit more. So we worship God. Secondly, we pray to him. God is unimaginably powerful. It means he can do anything. If he's unimaginably loving, he means he wants to do good for his children. That is a very, very powerful combination. Because it means he cares for us and he can do the things to help us. And so we pray to him. We can't say it too much. We're going to say it pretty much every service we ever have at Church Centre in some way or another prayer is vital we pray to him and we press into church community yeah of course it's not perfect of course sometimes we press into relationships and they go wrong sometimes we step out in service in different ways and it goes wrong and we're disappointed but listen this is where we get to know God's love and his power most powerfully and most lovingly according to this passage and many others and it says we kind of go again sometimes past the disappointments. We put up with the imperfections and we keep saying, no, I will be rooted and established in love here. Even when I don't receive the love that I think I'm giving, no, I'm going to be rooted in that love. You know what? That is where we experience and grasp that love. But it's also when other people look in and say, glory to God in the church. Can we stand?